Um, but I think that, you know, after a lot of us did get vaccinated, um, and especially vulnerable people got vaccinated, and, you know, we, we still weren't seeing any return to normalcy, right? It, we kept the same restrictions in place throughout. Um, so, you know, it was sort of like a never ending goalpost moving game, right? Um, and there was no end in sight. And that's why a lot of people went to Ottawa, right? Like yeah. I said, there, there was a lot of different um, reasons to go. Um, and that was another one of mine is that, you know, we just seemed to have no exit strategy and nobody was really fighting hard to try to return to normal. Welcome to the Earthshaking Conversations podcast. I am the host, Clarina Puckett. Today we have a very special guest. Her name is Andy Lee. She runs the account on Twitter, The Real Andy Lee Show, and she was banned from her previous account, Hannah Bananas. So I'll let you introduce yourself. <laughs> hey, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm Andy Lee, or some of you used to know me as Hannah Bananas. I was an anonymous account. Um, I ended up running in the federal election, uh, came out to the general public, um, you know, do some reporting, some researching, some podcasting. I have a show with Mark Petrone and Saga 960 AM. And, uh, you know, followed the Freedom Convoy and did a lot of work there. Got my bank accounts frozen, the whole nine yards. So... Yeah, so let's get into that. Um, I, I wanted to ask you kind of your life before the lockdowns. I read some of your blogs and you seem to be someone not super political. Um, so how was your life before like the pandemic happened? Um, I wasn't political at all before the pandemic. I was just a, a mom, just a housewife. Um one of my mothers died uh, under lockdowns. I never got to have a funeral for her or anything like that. And um, never got to say goodbye. And that made me really angry. And we were all trapped inside. So I just got on Twitter, started researching, started writing. Um, yeah, and yet, like I said, eventually, you know, ended up running in the federal election and, and becoming very, very political, which, you know, it, it, was, it was a good thing for me. It was a good um uh, a healthy outlet for something for me to, you know, sort of pour myself into when uh, we were all locked down and, and couldn't do much of anything else. So, um, you know, I, I really got passionate about it and, and, um, you know, did some stories that I'm proud of and made some changes and rolled with it. Yeah, that's, that's great. I'm really sorry to hear about your mom, by the way, that's really terrible. Um, a lot of people unfortunately had that experience, um, where they weren't able to say goodbye to a parent. And to me, that was one of the worst parts of this pandemic. The fact that, you know, we we dehumanize people, in my opinion, you know, like you can't even say goodbye to your parent. That's just so sad. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. Um, it still hurts, right? And so, uh, you know, that was part of the reason that I, I went to Ottawa. I said, this isn't just about, you know, truckers or mandates or vaccines. This is about justice. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is about, you know, people who die alone, kids who never met other kids and never got to play and, um, you know, didn't get to go to school. You know, this is about different things to, to different people, right? Everybody took what they, um, you know, what, what meant was, was powerful to them. And then, you know, they made it their own movement, right? So that's why it became so much bigger. It wasn't just, you know, 20,000 truckers. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the amount of pe like of trucks that were on the road? Um, I'm actually not really sure of the whole amount. Um, the vaccine mandates, I think, um, affected just over 20,000 truckers. 
So it wasn't a huge amount of them that were um, affected. Um, when I left Calgary, there was a couple of hundred of us. Uh, I'm not sure what the final vehicle count was, to be honest. I think it was in the thousands by the time we got to Ottawa. And I think that they put the, um, like the actual protest sides when we arrived in Ottawa that first weekend, that would have been like January 28th, 29th, um, at, at 6,000, I think to 10,000. Okay. I've heard like a, a huge range. Yeah. I'm sure I'm... They never really, um, figured that out. I mean, you think they would have uh, calculated that by now, <laughs> how many <laughs> people actually landed in the city. Right. But yeah, it seems like they don't have a, a concrete number. It's always a range, right? There's people yeah. going too. So, yeah, I've heard uh, between twelve and <laughs> between twelve. That's Justin Trudeau's number and a hundred thousand. I don't know where. <laughs> you yeah, know. it was wildly under exaggerated or over exaggerated, <laughs> right? The government wanted to under exaggerate it, um, and the media did too. And you know, supporters over exaggerated it. A lot of people were saying there was fifty thousand. That was another reason that I set out to, to find them because I just wanted to see how big it was and how big it could get and what the potential was. I was just kind of curious. Yeah, absolutely. Like I remember I actually went up north. I live in central Ontario right now, but I went up north to my parents' house because I knew the convoy was passing through and I wanted to see how big it was. And I mean, I wasn't there super long when they were passing through and they, they kind of separated. Uh, some went through Sault Ste. Marie, others through uh, Cochrane, I believe. And so we didn't see all of them, but there was quite a few, um, a lot more than, you know, the liberals and the media made it out to be for sure. So I wanted to ask you, so you said you were a mom. Um, how is the, like, how is the lockdown effects on your children? Well, I mean, that was part of why I went to Ottawa too, right? I wanted my kids back in school. I wanted them unmasked. Um, you know, I think it was hard on everybody and then it was, uh, children are, are maybe a little bit more resilient than, than adults are, but, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that it didn't affect them negatively and it affected everybody negatively, right? Of course, as a parent, you're worried about your children and their growth and development. I mean, my, my daughter was a baby when lockdown started, so she learned to talk just within our house. Oh my right? God. That was like the vital, you know, that like two to four, right? That, that, that age group that she experienced uh, under lockdowns, right? So that's when, you know, language is coming and they're learning really quickly and, you know, they're socializing and they're learning all those skills. So, you know, she missed all of that. Um, so she learned, you know, language basically just in our household. She never got to talk to strangers or interact with them or anything like that. So, um, you know, I mean, she's, she's fine now, um, you know, but, it's a concern, right? Our kids, our kids should have been in school. They should have been in school the whole time. They were always a very low risk group. And a lot of people have probably acknowledged that, um, you know, in hindsight. Yeah, no, it was <clears throat> for like on, on the parents' side, obviously I'm not a parent, but I saw it with my family members where, you know, they had three or four kids that they had to homeschool and it was a complete disaster because, you know, they were off of school and I, I understand like the first two weeks or whatever. Now I probably have a much different perspective. I, I think, you know, <laughs> none of this stuff, if there's another pandemic, like there's no way they're going to do any of the stuff they did before. But, um, you know, the first two weeks I understand, but we're going on three years here, you know, and it, it seems like it was never ending. Like there was just no, 
there's just no um, wanting to end this pandemic at all in any way from anyone, you know? Yeah, I mean, there was no real exit strategy, right? Um, it was just sort of, you know, um, rolling phases of restrictions that were going on and on and on. Um, you know, when, when those restrictions were lifted, uh, we do have cases rising, but I mean, the sky hasn't fallen. Um, yeah. you know, maybe it'll get worse over the winter, but you know, it's nothing like it was during some of the peaks. So, I mean, and most of us are, have not been boosted in Canada. Yeah, right? no, I, of us are not boosted <laughs> when our vaccines have waned. So, you know, in light of that, um, you know, you have to say, you know, what was all the sacrifice for, right? And what did we, you know, what did we really um, gain? And I do agree that there was probably, you know, we probably saved lives with lockdowns, especially when we had different strains and um, people weren't vaccinated and people who, you know, um, felt that they needed to be vaccinated or were at risk weren't vaccinated. So, um, you know, I could I made a case for that early on, but I think that, you know, after a lot of us did get vaccinated um, and especially vulnerable people got vaccinated and, you know, we, we still weren't seeing any return to normalcy, right? It, we kept the same restrictions in place throughout. Um, so, you know, it was sort of like a never ending goalpost moving game, right? Um, and there was no end in sight. And that's why a lot of people went to Ottawa, right? Like yeah. I said, there was, there was a lot of different, um, reasons to go. Um, and that was another one of mine is that, you know, we, we just seem to have no exit strategy and nobody was really fighting hard to try to return to normal. And I think that's why, you know, in part where the convoy was so popular is because being there surrounded by people outside, socializing, hugging, all these things that we hadn't done in so long, it made us feel normal again. It felt really good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I live in Ontario, so um, I remember, I believe it was May 2021 or something like that, when the vaccine started rolling out, I got vaccinated, much to my sh chagrin now, but I <clears throat> had really bad side effects and um, that's a whole other story. But I remember Doug Ford saying, okay, if we can get to the, I think it was 80%, if we can get to 80% of people vaccinated in, in Ontario, we'll drop the restrictions. And, you know, I gullibly bought into that i don't know why like in in hindsight thinking about it now but i i was like okay like let's get vaccinated i want to get back to normal i want to travel and then you know the opposite happened uh we were in, in the summer and then lockdown started happening in the fall and then a vaccine mandate and that's when i knew i started like deeply <clears throat> regretting my decision to get vaccinated because I knew I did it in vain and I had suffered pretty bad side effects as well. So it was like, it wasn't helping, you know, the whole situation because it was like, you know, you did it all for nothing, <laughs> essentially, right? And, you know, my grandparents who are 90 years old, they got COVID twice and they both survived. Um, so, and my grandpa is like 91 years old with, he's like the typical... Um, you know, guy that they would have talked about on the news that died of COVID, but he didn't die. He survived. Um, so to me, when I started seeing that and, and all of these mandates coming back in stricter form, I, I really started regretting my decision because it was like, we did it all for nothing. You know, it was all in, in vain. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was frustrating, right? Um, and Ontario suffered under some of the, you know, the, the harshest lockdowns uh, in the world, I believe, actually. And those were orchestrated by, uh, in large part, McKinsey and company did, you know, the, the pandemic planning for the government of Ontario. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can remember traveling to Ottawa to cover the convoy and I had some friends with me. I was with um, Iranian activist Salman Sima and another independent journalist, um, Mark. And, I was going to uh, say Mark Slipinski. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, so we all went together and I was like, you know, let's go out for something to eat. And they're like, Andy, everything's still closed here. Like we're under lockdown. I'm like, oh my God, you guys are still under lockdown. Like, we can't even go somewhere and get a, we can't even get a beer and grab a bite to yeah. eat somewhere. Like you gotta be kidding me. Um, so Ontarians, you know, really, really suffer. And, and, um, you know, I find even going back there, I find people are a lot more uptight about it than Albertans were, right? So yeah. a little bit more shell-shocked um, and things like that. So, um, you know, I mean, the damage that was done was was real, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was real damage done, real psychological damage done to people. And people are still, um, you know, a lot of people are still really, really fearful and stuff. I mean, sure, have a healthy respect for, for what it is right? It's a virus. Um, it can be very, very dangerous to some people. Right. Um, but, um, you know, I think that we've just saw such an overblown reaction and there was no end to that overblown reaction site. And so I think that that's why this was like so important is that we had to not only, it didn't matter if the restrictions were lifted at that point, it was also just letting the government know that we were not going to be subjected to this sort of super strict lockdown again, right? We were not going to have small businesses shuttered. Um, You know, we were not going to put up with not being able to get on an airplane or a train and travel across our own country, things like that, right? Um, Basic travel rights. Um, So, you know, I think it was really, really important whether the mandates were lifted or not, that, you know, we did do sort of a really, really strong demonstration and show um, just to send that message to the government, right? That, you know, this this is what we have the power to do if you try to impose these on us again, right? And they're always threatening it. They're still threatening it, right? Oh, yeah. You know, you know <laughs> take a shot or else, um, you know, you'll get the stick, right? So, you know, um, but I mean, I do think that we've given them a little bit of food for thought. And I think that they'll think twice about reimposing those restrictions that they seemed very laissez-faire with. It wasn't just that there was restrictions. It was that like, a lot of them didn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, uh, and they seemed very, you know, randomly imposed and, and very casually imposed, um, you know, and, and not a lot of thought given to how these restrictions are actually impacting people and things like that. Right. Um, they didn't seem to have a lot of care um, as to you yeah. know, what they were doing to the humans who were behind those restrictions. And of course, meanwhile, you know, they're jet setting all over the world. Um, you know, meeting with people, you know, going to bars, living life, right? Going out to dinners unmasked and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, I think that was that was the, the really horrible part. It wasn't just that there was restrictions. It was that, you know, A, they were of questionable necessity at that point in time. Because, again, our restrictions are all lifted. The sky hasn't fallen. Yeah. And most of the vaccines have waned. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, and most of us aren't boosted. So... You know, and, and it was just, you know, that how casually they, they did it without um, justification. And I heard today, I think um, somebody's called actually, and it's long overdue, in my opinion, an inquiry into the pandemic response. 
And you know what? Like, there should be a strong response. Like, there should be a strong inquiry into the pandemic response because it was so... Like, in the beginning, I understand what they did. Like, they were kind of in a binder. I remember Ford, like... Um, our premier in Ontario, kind of just like watching him sweat balls like every single day on with his <laughs> news conferences until the day that he took off the, the mandates. And then you look like, oh, this is over. OK, bye. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was like I, I can see why it was stressful. But <clears throat> specifically, specifically for the federal government, there's a lot of mandates. And, and it wasn't just the mandates. It was the way that they were speaking to Canadians that didn't agree with the mandates. You know, um, I remember like last year around this time, maybe like a few months before in September when Justin Trudeau called um, people who are unvaccinated. Like, I don't remember what he I think you said like something like they are racist, misogynist. Like that is an unacceptable way of talking to your citizens. Like that's completely unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he did it on purpose, right? Um, it was definitely unbecoming of a leader. I mean, he wasn't just talking about two people. He was talking about millions of people when he did that. Um, so uh, I think that's when, you know, people really started to turn against him, too. And he sort of created this atmosphere that was ripe for this massive protest to happen. And, you know, some people just went because they were anti-Trudeau, right? A lot of vaccinated went because they didn't like Trudeau. That was partially why I went. I don't like Trudeau either, right? I'm fully vaccinated. I don't like him. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, it just he's he doesn't get to pick and choose which citizens he he represents it's his job his duty as prime minister to represent all of his citizens fairly um and it was pretty obvious that that wasn't happening so yeah yeah no i agree with that and of course now we'll get into like the the real reason why the convoy happened which was of course the trucker mandate that one in my opinion was the most random thing ever because you know most people were vaccinated. Um, everyone were lifting the restrictions all around the world. And then Justin Trudeau decided to, you know, put in this mandate for the truckers. Yeah, I mean, it really was bizarre and random. And truckers spend most of their time alone in their cabs. So they're like a super low source of transmission, right? I mean, they're sleeping in their cabs and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, that was one of those bizarre, random things, right? Just like... You have to wear a mask on an airplane, but you don't in the airport or you do in some parts of the airport, right? You can wear it when you're checking in, but then when you go to security, you have to put your mask on. Like it was just, you know, it was, it's such a discombobulated, um, and you know, I, it, I just felt after a while it was petty and vindictive. Um, yeah. you know, I really do think that, you know, um, I mean, let's face it, if we had a source, if the government had a source, if they could say unvaccinated people are driving the pandemic, right? And they're preventing us from getting back to normal and it's all their fault. I mean, they really were a scapegoat for governments. Um, so, you know, they had a lot of, um, you know, personal investment in keeping that narrative going um, and continuing to have those people scapegoat um, for, you know, bad policies and things like that, or the fact that, you know, they didn't control it very well, or they didn't make the right decisions. Um, but they had this group of individuals that all of a sudden they could villainize and pin everything on, right? Well, you know, if we're, uh, if we're in debt, blame long lockdowns because people didn't get vaccinated, right? That's yeah. what happened. It wasn't irresponsible spending, right? It was those unvaccinated people, they did it, right? 
No, that's true. Because, you know, air travel was shut down. Blame those unvaccinated people. They kept the pandemic going. So we had to make sure that we restricted international travel, right? Um, you know, so it, they became sort of, you know, the, the, you know, just whatever the government wanted to, uh, you know, toss at them and blame on them, um, you know. And so that was the important thing was to show that, no, this is not, you know, all, all just the unvaccinated people's fault, right? The pandemic's still going, it's being managed, right? It's, you know, it's, again, the sky isn't falling. Um, and, you know, obviously once that was exposed um, and the restrictions were lifted and, you know, it was shown that we were doing okay, um, you know, then there would be, of course, a reckoning, right? There would be an inquiry, there would be questions as to, um, you know, was the response appropriate? Um, you know, with timelines that we kept restrictions in place appropriate, things like that. Because, I mean, let's face it, if we dropped restrictions um, now and we're doing all right, um, did, you know, did Ontario really have to be locked down um, last Christmas? Right? Exactly. Last fall? Exactly. Last summer? It was right? crazy because, like, when I first, I, I, I think I left college the year that the pandemic started. And it was like... You know, we all lost, like, in here, especially here in Ontario, we all lost at least two years of our life. Like, no partying, no going out, no doing anything. Kids were stuck at home for two years almost. Or even worse, in my opinion, they were stuck in masks. Like, I never got that. I never got that. Like, I personally didn't even want to wear a mask, and I stopped wearing it in Ontario, even though there was a mask mandate in January when the convoy came to Ottawa. Cause I was like, you know what, you guys, I'm standing in support of you. I'm not wearing a mask anymore. And no one ever said anything like the stores were, they were just done with that. You know, my grocery store never even like batted an eye. I was like the first one walking in there, no mask. And, um, they never said anything. And I was like, okay, I guess that's it. You know, we're going to stop the restrictions. And then, of course, Ford, at some point before the convoy left, um, yeah, he lifted those restrictions finally. But do you think it had anything to do with uh, Trudeau's, like, tyrant side? <laughs> do you think that it has anything to do with uh, his lust for power? You know, all the fact that they kept these mandates so long? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, they have, they've got these emergency powers that were granted to them um, in Parliament. So, um, but there has to be uh, an emergency for them to be able to keep that piece of legislation in place that granted them sort of extraordinary powers, right, um, under the pandemic. So, um, you know, and I think that that's something that has to go. I think it's outlived its usefulness and it has to be taken away. Um, so that they can't sort of just go ahead and, and decide to re-implement um, mandates, restrictions, and things like that. Um, I think it should go through, you know, our usual um, democratic channels. And if they want to re-implement some sort of, uh, you know, restrictions, that, that federal restrictions, that is, that, you know, it should go through uh, a process, right? Um, not just under this pandemic, this act that was written up at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, of course, everybody, any government would, would love those powers, right? Sure, that's great. Um, and, you know, of course, Justin Trudeau also thought that this would be an opportunity for him to grab a majority government. He tried to do that. He called an election right in the middle of the pandemic, right? 
and it wasn't an accident. He, you know, he thought it was an opportune moment, um, you know, and tried to gain popularity by saying, you know, unvaccinated people are bad people, liberals, we're all vaccinated, we're all wearing a mask, we're all, we're the good guys, right? And the other guys are radical extremists. Um, yeah. So, you know, and that was, I mean, they did psyops on Canadians to see how they could effectively do this yeah. and use it to political advantage, right? So, um, so I do think that, of course, you know, he's probably reluctant to see this go. Um, you know, there's been, I mean, our House of Commons is still hybrid, right? I know, our isn't that crazy? haven't even gone back to work. Um, and they spent a lot of money too. I, I don't remember, I have to find the amount, but they spent, oh, I don't know, I can't say, I don't want to throw it out there. Um, but it, it was millions and millions and millions of dollars yeah. spent um, upgrading parliament, uh, putting in like dividers, plexiglass dividers, things like that, screens. Um, and then after they spent all that money, then they voted to, you know, the NDP and the liberals voted to not go back to work in person after, you know, basically blowing all this taxpayer cash for a safe return to parliament. And then they never really returned. Right. So we know Justin Trudeau hates questions. He hates question periods. So oh my uh, God. You know, that's, that's one thing that hybrid parliament and this whole debacle has really gotten him out of, you know, he's really been able to weasel his way out of, uh, you know, answering questions and things like that. So of course, if I was him, I'd be really reluctant to let it go. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so there's one interesting thing I saw on Twitter the other day is that the military have come out and said that they were actually testing out their propaganda on Canadians during this pandemic. I don't yeah, know if you saw that. Yeah, I've thought I saw that. That was a that was an old story actually. Um, uh, I believe Blacklocks broke that story, if I'm correct. But yeah, I mean, I think that you know there was probably all kinds of other psyops going on that we didn't really know about. Um, you know, I, I do think a lot of think tanks and things like that and pollsters were gauging our reactions. Um, you know, we saw some really crazy polls coming out, like, should we throw unvaccinated people in jail? Oh my God. Um, you know, I, I, so, I mean, there's all kinds of these little social experiments going on um, to test our tolerance and our intolerance towards each other, right? Yeah. And I mean, this is going to be, this is going to be studied for decades, right? Um what happened here. Um, but I do think, I do think Canadians really sort of, um, laid the groundwork and were leaders for other countries to look and see, you know what, look at what Canadians did, right? They said yeah. enough of this, we're not having any more of it. We're going to come together. We're going to protest against this, um, you know, this, this narrative and this route. So, uh, yeah, I was really, I was really proud of us because we're not that political, right? Like we're usually pretty boring. Yeah. Um, so to see us all of a sudden, you know, internationally become very, very interesting was, was kind of fun. Yeah, I know it was fun. <laughs> we're a quiet, peaceful group, right? We don't get a lot of international attention for doing wild things. So yeah, it was, it was a good time. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about, I'll ask you about kind of the, um, international response to the convoy. But first I want to ask you, what was it like? Um, what can you tell us? Because I was at the Freedom Convoy in Toronto. I wasn't at the one in Ottawa because I live in Toronto and I really didn't feel like driving to Ottawa by myself. Um, with like at this time, there's like no hotels available and it was kind of just a disaster. But um, how was it like at the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, the first day we came in, well, uh, people arrived the night before, so they arrived on the Friday. I came in with the last leg. There's a couple of thousand of us coming in from Kingston on the Saturday. I mean, it was pretty wild and chaotic when we hit that city. And I was tweeting out, I just said, you know what, the city has no idea what's, what's coming. Um, they are so underprepared. They have no idea what is about to hit it, right? Yeah. Um, and they were underprepared and they didn't seem to have any idea what was about to hit it. And that was unfortunate because, of course, it ended up, um, you know, in what they deemed to be an illegal protest and eventually the election, the uh, invocation of the Emergencies Act. Um, and I think that a lot of that stuff could have been easily solved by pre-planning um, and things like that, having staging areas set up, having public parking areas set up, um, you know, allowing the protests, the main protests, say the big rigs, um, to, you know, sit in front of Parliament and do their thing. But, I mean, the side streets were just jammed. I remember just getting out of my rental car and I just walked away from it. I was like, there's no way I'm getting to my hotel, right? I just left it on the street. I was just like, that's it, right? So, I mean, it was, it was really, really wild. I'm not going to say it was all fun and games. I mean, I did have concerns. There were fireworks flying off everywhere. I mean, fireworks <laughs> are fun. They're fun. I like fireworks. Yeah. But, I mean, when you have a bunch of drunken, rowdy protesters firing them off everywhere, I'm kind of like, okay, that was a little bit much. I do think the police should have um, chilled that behavior out a little bit, you know, and, and said, you know what, you can't just light these off wherever you want from the back of your trucks. Um, just because, just for safety concerns. I mean, somebody could get hurt. Nobody did get hurt, thank goodness. Um, but that was like a legitimate thing that I was like, okay, this is like a little bit much. Um, but I mean, the general, it was, I, it was pretty rowdy. It was pretty festive. You know, it, it was a big boisterous street party or, you know, a, a pickup party. What can I say? You know, it yeah. was a good atmosphere. I stopped in Kingston. I met a lot of people on Twitter that I talked to already. Um, so people sent us into Ottawa with hundreds of meals. People had been cooking wow. for like two days waiting for us to come. So we did some stops off in Kingston. We picked up hundreds and hundreds of meals, um, you know, uh, met up with some of the Sikhs that um, you met. Um, you've probably seen them online that I talk with. Um, the Sings and things like that who ended up being arrested. So um, they did a great job of handing out food and things like that. Um, so, you know, uh, hooked up with them, handed out some, you know, some sandwiches, some chili, all that good stuff. It was fun. Um, you know, and uh, what can I say? It was loud. Yeah. It wasn't loud. You know, some people try to downplay the honking. Um, you know, like, it, I'm not going to say it was torture, but it was really intense at some times when they're all going. It didn't bother me personally. I can see how it could get to some people, though. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was also staying in the Marriott and it was right in the red zone. So, I mean, Kent Street was right outside. So that was a, a gridlock street that had horrors blaring all the time. I can't say that when I was inside, it bothered me at all. I could hear it. Like I was cognizant that it was going on, but I can't really say that it bothered me uh, to be fair and to be realistic. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was pretty intense. Um, those first couple of days. And it was also very chaotic because we didn't know what to expect when we came into the city. Um, I was really surprised that we were allowed to blockade off downtown Ottawa and gridlock mm -hmm. it. That's not what I was expecting, um, but that was what was ended up happening. So, um, and, you know, we were just getting sort of set up. Like it wasn't entrenched yet. So, yeah. um, you know, we had music and we, we were partying and stuff like that. But, um, you know, we were just setting up food stands that weekend and getting food stands and barbecues and coffee stands set up, um, all that stuff, right? This, the, the big flatbed truck with the crane that would eventually become a stage, which is oh, yeah, the stage. 
and you know DJ booths and things like that, um, which were run by um, Bethany, um, you know, who I came to know very well later. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, how do you describe it? I mean. It was kind of like a, you know, you're laughing, you're crying moments, um, you know, and, and you haven't had people hugging you and touching you in so long. So when you, you know, you couldn't, you have your fellow citizens, um, you know, just coming up to you and just giving you big hugs or high fives or anything after two years of being, you know, like, stay away from me. You know, it, it's <laughs> a really, really intense emotional experience, um, you know, it, and it just felt like, Oh, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the end of the pandemic. Maybe this is going to be it. Maybe this is going to be over, right? This nightmare that we've all been going through. Maybe this is going to do it. Um, so a little bit of relief too, right? Yeah. So when I went to the one in Toronto, I think it was February 5th. I remember the date and I called my friend and I went to Orangeville in the morning and they were like leaving the rigs from that area and they had different areas and they were all going to Toronto and they actually blocked off Queens Park, which I kind of disagreed with because they, they should have let the rigs go into Queens Park. But I think it was like whole Bay Street that was closed. Uh, there's a lot of places that were closed. And um, <clears throat> so I called my friend up and I was like, okay, maybe you don't want to go to the one in Ottawa because she was at school at the moment and I didn't really want to go by myself. But I was like, let's go to the one in Toronto. So we went and we were like draped in Canadian flags seeing protesters no masks it was literally like in, on the subway um uh, we went in and it was like a huge yeah it was like a huge street party like we were dancing in like dump trucks like it was such a great experience that you know i wish like every single canadian could have you know because it was like there's so much love in the air so much unity like we were just yelling freedom every two seconds like it was <laughs> It was honestly one of my, like, the best experiences of my life. Because um, it was just, like, it was the first time, like you said, that we could literally just, like, hug each other and, like, the pandemic was over. It was, like, a huge street party. And then um, at the end of it, it was kind of interesting because, like, the police officers, they blocked off all the streets and they were, like, forcing the truckers to go. Because I don't think the truckers would have left, but they kind of, like, forced them out to go. So it was, like, one truck at a time and then everyone in the streets cheering. And then um, they kind of cleared it out that way. But for weeks and weeks after in Toronto, there was, like, protest after protest after protest. There, they might still have protests going on. I actually have no clue. But it was literally one of the best experiences of my life. It was something like it was all canadians all races all ethnicities you know all standing together for one cause and it's like okay the pandemic's over here's your message government yeah yeah it was really it was really a incredible moment in canadian history for sure um lots of good feelings right lots of good memories like i said i wish everybody had gone out and experienced it for themselves um you know and seen for themselves too um you know i wasn't really involved in protesting or anything like that before this um you know not heavily involved i was always really anti-lockdown and anti-vaccine mandates and anti-passports um but you know, I wasn't really out there on the streets, um, you know, doing protesting and things like that when other people were. So, um, so it was really interesting experience for me to do that. And it's, it's just a really, really infectious thing to do. Yeah. Um, you know, because a lot of the people are so welcoming. They're so wonderful. 
Um, you know, you feel like you belong, right? People aren't, um, you know, there's no, um, you know, you're not intimidated, right? It's just, it's a really, really welcoming group, right? Like there's not, there's no pressure or anything, right? You can just go out and be yourself, be silly, be whatever you want to be, right? Um, so that's, you know, that's really, really refreshing. And um, it's, I feel, I feel like it's almost become like a religion to some people. Um, <laughs> things. People lost things during the pandemic. And, and I do feel like protesting and doing these demonstrations because a lot of people are like, why are they still demonstrating? And I'm like, they need it. It yeah. makes them feel good. Yeah, and absolutely. Okay. They're allowed to protest. You don't even have to have a reason to protest. You're allowed to go demonstrate, right? You can go say, you know, I disagree with the sky being blue. This, that's the legality of protesting in our country, right? You don't need a reason to do it. Um, so it doesn't matter why they're doing it. They, you know, they're doing it. And they're doing it, I think, because, you know, they feel a sense of community, right? Just like some people get that satisfaction um, and that good feeling from attending church, right? Or whatever sort of a group you attend, right? So, so it's a group of people who, you know, um, have gotten together and supported each other throughout this pandemic through protesting. And I don't think that they're going to give it up. I, I can see them even doing it. Well, uh, they're still doing it in Toronto, right? They're still yeah. marching in Toronto on Saturdays. I'm pretty um, sure they are. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it really has, it, it, that, that's my feeling is that it's almost become something that, you know, they need something that they feel good doing. And it's almost like a religious, um, I, I would, you know, compare it to being religious, right? Yeah. It's, community thing that they're doing, right? They're doing it because it makes them feel good. It makes them feel accepted. And I don't see anything wrong with it really, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, so the protesters that went to Ottawa and the protesters in Toronto, we're not the type of people who protest. Like I've never, that was my first ever protest. I've never been to a protest before. You said you never went to an, a protest before. Most people, we're not protesters. We're just people blue collar class workers, you know, we just mind our own businesses and we're, we were just tired of the government overreach into our lives. Like I have a little bit of insight into like the agriculture world where like, it's crazy the amount of, uh, amount of stuff that the government forced them to do. And, you know, it's like that for the truckers. It's like that for all blue collar class workers. And then you have, of course, the pandemic when they start, you know, making rules and you, you just see your freedom slipping away, like, bit by bit. And people were really, really tired of that. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people who hadn't protested, you know, took part in this and probably felt a little bit different, um, you know, because of it. And, and I, I loved it. I enjoyed it. Right. I go back whenever I can. Um, you know, I went and marched with James Top and covered his, his events and met him, uh, you know, and, and hung out with him. Um, you know, some of the freedom fighters, Canada actually got me to speak on Canada day, on Parliament Hill, which is something I never thought in my wildest dreams I would have done. I'm actually very, very shy about public speaking. It terrifies me. And they asked me like two hours before they were like, can you give a speech? I'm like, there's like 6,000 people out there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And, uh, but no, I, they did, they got me to, uh, to get up and, and do a speech and stuff like that. And it really, it really was infectious. Right. Um, it, it's, you know, it makes you feel good. It makes you feel, um, like you're not alone after a lot of us felt really, really lonely for the last couple of years. Um, all of a sudden you feel like you've got this huge extended family, um, you know, and, and, and they're good people. They'll take care of you. Um, you know, the bikers church, I did the rolling thunder as well. I covered that on um, the rolling thunder protest, uh, you know, met the bikers, um, came to know some of them very, very well. 
went to the Bikers Church. I, you know, I haven't been to church since I don't know when. Um, <laughs> but Melissa is lovely there, the pastor. Um, you know, she blesses me every time I go there. I cry every time I go there. I can't help it. I just can't keep it in. Um, you know, and they actually do really, really good work in the community. Of course, their church was vandalized during the Rolling Thunder protests. Um, unfortunately, people felt like, uh, you know, they didn't have a right to demonstrate in the city. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, you, you really do get attached to people through this, um, through this process, right? This, this commonality, um, you know, and, uh, you know, it is, it's, I think it's a healthy thing for Canada to go through. And like, I think, I, I think it's part of venting is part of the healing process, right? Yeah. Like we're kind of, you know... <laughs> Um, you know, I, we're, we're kind of going through like stages of grief, right? Like there's like anger, denial, um, you know, and I think that this is part of like, you know, where you go through the acceptance phase and you're kind of like, okay, what just happened? Um, you know, and how do I, how do I do this? You know, how do I, how do I get through this? Right. Um, I, so I think that we're through the denial phase and a lot of us, you know, we're maybe some of us are still in the denial phase. Hold on for a second. has got me sick. So I think we're moving through this. And um, I think this is sort of like the acceptance phase, right? And it's, it feels good to go out and shout and make a sign, you know, put it out there and say, yeah, you know, I feel like I was wronged um, by what happened to me over the last two years. And, and that's okay. And I think that that's part of the healing process and getting through it. Yeah. Right. And working through it because a lot of people we're really, really traumatized socially and emotionally, um, physically, psychologically, right? We saw a lot of, you know, depression, uh, divorce, um, you know, people who are hopeless, right? We saw drug addiction, we saw alcoholism, um, people turned to all kinds of things when they were, you know, taken out of their normal routine and weren't allowed to do their normal daily activities. So I think it's therapeutic. Yeah, and I think that uh, another part of why, like, the convoy was so popular is because, I don't know about you, but I felt like there was a, um, like, since Justin Trudeau came into office, but more specifically during the pandemic, there was uh, a loss of Canadian nationality, right? Like, there was, uh, <clears throat> it, I don't know, like, it, it seemed like we didn't have a nationality anymore. We didn't have, like, the Canadian spirit. Like, I remember it when... I was younger and that was like the re the renewal of Canada Day like that was like Canada Day when I was there you know Yeah I mean I think <sighs> I think we were sort of growing apart as Canadians maybe because of Trudeau a little bit because of the government and definitely because of the pandemic right um, because we weren't getting together doing Canadian things, right? We weren't going to hockey games. We weren't having barbecues. We weren't having street parties. Um, you know, we weren't going out camping together and, and doing all those things that we sort of associate with, with Canadianness, um, right? And, and sort of a part of our core identity or, or you know, it, it was being friendly and um, being overly friendly, right? And being overly <laughs> helpful, overly good to your neighbors, right? Overly kind. That's sort of, you know, what we're known for, um, you know, and, and we had to step back from all that. We lost all that. So, I mean, this regained that a little bit. I think it, I think it sort of reaffirmed um, who we are as Canadians, what we stand for, right? What our belief system uh, is. 
um, you know, and, and that we're not, um, also, you know, it also showed the world that, you know, we're, we're not doormats. So, I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, we're, we're, we're made fun of for being a little bit too laid back. Right. Um, so that was part of the surprise of this whole thing is that, you know, we weren't as laid back as people thought we were. I mean, we, we did it. I mean, we, you know, it, it wasn't a, you know, a violent, crazy insurrection protest, <laughs> but I mean, you know, we, we did a protest, but we did it in a very Canadian way, right? We yeah. showed that we weren't going to be walked all over anymore. And we did it in a, in a very, very Canadian type manner, which was to, uh, make fun of ourselves, make fun of the government, be silly, um, be goofy, right? Um, mm -hmm. And do all those things while maintaining sort of our, our composure and the peaceful manner that we're known uh, for while getting our message across. Yeah. Do you think that um, the government, that might seem like a stupid question, but do you think the government wanted it to turn into an insurrection? Ooh, oh my gosh. I was up for a flight at 3.30 this morning from oh my Ontario. Yeah. Do I think, I think that they were counting on it to a degree. Um, like I think that they were counting on really, really bad behavior that first weekend. Um, and we, you know, we got some, like I said, there was some bad behavior. I'm not going to say we we're perfect angels, right? I mean, there was bad rowdy behavior going on. Um, some of it may have been concerning for safety and I thought it could have been tapered a little bit by police, but, um, you know, they were, had a very hands-off approach, uh, especially that first weekend. So. Um, so I do think that they were counting on some arrests and things like that, um, you know, to help them drive home the narrative that, you know, this, this wasn't going to be a peaceful demonstration. This was, you know, a demonstration that had violent intent. Um, I mean, I would say, I, I hope that they're not so dark that they hoped for violence on our Capitol Hill. Um, they might've been relieved if it happens because that would have, I think, given them a, a easy, graceful exit and an excuse to come down hard on protesters, but, um, you know, it didn't happen. So I can only speculate as to what's in the mind of the government. <laughs> we know that, you know, public safety minister and the prime minister's office had texts going on about how they were going to portray the protest, um, back in, you know, January, uh, the end of January. So they were already sort of creating a narrative that, these were a bunch of, in that case, extreme crazies, right? Um, who have come to terrorize Ottawa. So, um, you know, all that was already in place. So of course, um, I was relieved that none of that actually came to fruition. You know, I always had a, you've always got concerns in your mind. There's a lot of people there, right? Yeah. I mean, there was a commonality. Obviously most of us were there to protest and to do it peacefully and to have a good time, um, to enjoy each other's company. But I mean, you know, there's always a potential that a situation could get out of hand or something like that, right? Um, there's still volatility and it's still a fluid situation and you can't control who comes in, right? You can't, you're not vetting people. You don't know who's coming into the protest and what their intentions are. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, like I said, I don't think they would have necessarily been disappointed if something had gone awry to give police a reason to crack down on us um, because it would have given them a graceful exit as opposed to having this long protracted, super internationally embarrassing protest that, that is <laughs> what happened, right? And it was internationally embarrassing. Like it was, yeah. um, you know, and them enacting, you know, the Emergencies Act is just a, a stain upon this country. It is, um, it is. So, 
I'm probably, I'm losing my voice. Sorry. I'm probably going to have to go here soon. That's okay. Let me just ask you before about the emergencies act. Um, and of course the inquiry that's going on right now. Um, what are your thoughts about that? I think it's going really well. Um, I don't think we've seen a lot of bombshell testimony that, that speaks that the threshold, the legal threshold was met. We've seen a lot of nonsense. Um, so I think that was a really good thing that came out of this is that we've seen how dysfunctional our police forces are and our intelligence forces are. Um, so, you know, I think that's a lot of food for thought. I mean, imagine if we actually had a genuine national security emergency, how would we be able to cope with that? Right. So I think that there's a lot of, um, good reflection going on. Uh, we saw some nonsense today, some, you know, some funny statements and things like that from convoy organizers and, uh, the court was obviously adjourned and some people were, were tossed out of the inquiry, uh, after it was, you know, sort of out of order. Um, we've seen a little bit of soap opera, I think going on where people want to, you know, claim that they were responsible or, you know, it was their idea or it was their movement or they were the only leader. Um, so it's been, you know, I mean, I, I kind of expected all of this, um, to a degree, but I mean, it's not a bad thing because uh, today what I saw was kind of a farce. Um, you know, I didn't see any OPPs, uh, you know, asking convoy organizers about what did this text message mean? What were you coming? Were you coming to overthrow the government? Yeah. Were you telling people to blockade these borders? And do you realize that that, you know, was detrimental to our country and things like that? I mean, I was expecting some more evidence to come out um, against the convoy organizers. They took their phones, right? Yeah. So they had access to their phones, right? As soon as they were arrested, their phones were taken into evidence. Um, so they have access to all those text messages and things like that that were on their phones. So, you know, we didn't see any of that come out, though. There was no, like, gotcha moment where it's like yeah, you plan to do something really, really insidious here, right? There's, never thought there's literally nothing. Like, it's, you know, I, I haven't really paid too much attention. I've been mostly watching, like, yours and other people's commentaries on Twitter, but I listened to the whole Chris Barber interview yesterday for four hours, and it just seemed to me like, you know, they have nothing. They have nothing, because at this point, it would have come out. Um, against the protesters, against the convoy organizers. It seems like, you know, obviously the Emergencies Act was a huge, huge overreach. Um, and it was wild, it's wildly unacceptable that it happened in a country that is Canada, you know, one of the pillars of democracy. And the fact that they use the Emergencies Act, they've put political uh, they've put people into political prisons like Tamara Lish and um, I don't remember the others. I think Pat King was in there for a while and, you know, they've done all this stuff for what, like a protest of a bunch of Canadians partying. Like to me, the funniest part of this whole inquiry was like Jim Watson, like dramatically saying like, Oh my God, the hot tubs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jim really lost his marbles there. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, good riddance to Jim, <laughs> for sure. Uh, he's out now. Yeah, he really did lose his mind there over the the fun aspects of the protest. It, it really uh, blew his mind. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they really came down with the hammer, right? And I yep. think that they did that. They were just really, really desperate to get rid of it because it had just become such a 
a debacle, right? And such a mockery of the government. So nobody really knew what to do with it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, as it evolved into, you know, this sort of uh, shanty town um, <laughs> where you could go and get free hot dogs. So that was the big, like, complaint by the Association of Businesses. They were like, are, you know, they were giving out free hot dogs that took away from our business. I was like, oh, oh my God. God. Like, that's your complaint lady. That's like, that's your problem. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, free hot dogs. I mean, I guess what this government's in big trouble. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen a, a lot of nonsense inquiry and a lot of fillers and not a lot of um, concrete things that would speak to, you know, a national security. Um, yeah. Issue. Yeah, no, I think it was um, totally 100% unjustified, this Emergencies Act, because if you look at the history of it, it's actually used to be the War Measures Act. So to me, the government called on war against the protesters in a way with using the Emergencies Act and, of, and then, of course, the freezing of bank accounts. Um, I know, I think you mentioned before that you got your bank account frozen Yeah. So while I was, I'm going to have to make this my last thing, honestly, sorry, I'm, I'm just bagged and I'm going to lose my voice. Um, yeah. So while I was, I went to Ottawa, I did go home for a little bit. Um, after I, the first weekend, so I did go home and see my kids and stuff. And then I went back down because I heard that they were going to crack down on the protesters. So I went down for the crackdown. Um, so I was there for that when they were clearing the streets, um, you know, threatened with arrest, pepper sprayed. Um, I did go in and interview chief bell, at his media scrum, I asked him, I asked a question um, about whether he was going to, if protesters left at that point, if he was going to pursue them um, with oh. uh, repercussions down the road. So that was me who asked that question. And of course he came back and said, yes, we will be pursuing financial sanctions and things like that. So um, that was me and his media scrum asking that. Um, and uh, so the next day um, my bank account was uh, locked and my PayPal account was locked and my, my credit card was locked. So and how long were they locked for? Um, I got it unlocked after that weekend, um, but I was permanently disabled uh, in my e-transfers. I was no longer allowed to transfer money to other people. Um, I could pay bills and things like that, but I wasn't allowed to um, do money transfers to other individuals. To, like to so this that, day? Um, that was lifted about three months later. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. So they flagged me as a permanent fraud risk while, um, all these protests were going on, right? The rolling thunder, Canada day, all of that. So those restrictions stayed, um, sort of through the protest season, which is, you know, how I've come to think of it now as summer. I think of it now as protest season in Canada. Uh, so, so yeah, so those were, were just removed recently. Let me think. From, it may have been longer than three months. Yeah, because uh, in the summer, that was like from January, maybe six months. It might have been five months. I'd have to look. But anyways, yeah, so it persisted for a while. Like I couldn't even, even to people that I've transferred money to to years, like I couldn't transfer money to my mom, my brother, my babysitter or anything like that. So, yeah, so that was, uh, I got really nailed by the fraud department there. So Wow. That's, that's crazy. So I will end it there. Thank you so much yeah. for joining my podcast and for talking Thanks. 
sorry to cut it short. I'm just, I'm bagged. Like I said, I was up with my kids at like three 30 in the morning to catch a flight out here. So I'm just like done, done. <laughs> no, that's totally, that's totally fine. I'm still recovering from like a three week long cold. So, um, I've had a lot of hard, I've had a hard time like doing podcasts cause I kept coughing. I think today is like the only, the first day that I haven't coughed in like two weeks, which is pretty good, but yeah. But yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, nice to meet you. Nice we'll to meet see you too. <laughs> Take care.